Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. And Simon says that all... Oh my God, that's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Shut the fuck up. Da, 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 da. Simon says, get the fuck up. Da, 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 da. Anyway. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Not a bad week, all told, with performances and mood around City starting to look up. Obviously, things would have been better without that snooze fest on Tuesday evening, but it delivered a fourth successive clean sheet in the Champions League and confirmation that Pep Guardiola's side had won the group for the fourth year running too. So you can't have everything, I guess. Welcome to this week's Blue Moon podcast and a show that's going to look at how it was an important week for some of the players who have been questioned recently. A hat-trick for Riyad Mahrez, a goal for Benjamin Mendy and another clean sheet with John Stones in the defence are all causes for optimism. Also this week, we'll hear the second part of our interview with City's former assistant Mark Bowen and hear how he and Mark Hughes found out that they were to lose their jobs and we'll discover a record that City could lose this weekend depending on how Sheffield United get on. More on that shortly. With that and the games with Fulham and Marseille to preview, let's waste no more time and get cracking. I'm David Mooney. With me this week I've got two City fans. I've got Casey. You right. And Alan Phoenix-Bates. How do? Um... All going well for City at the moment. We're going to come to the players that I mentioned in the intro shortly. Uh, But first, uh, I just want to have a listen to this because uh, it was interesting to hear how Guardiola spoke about the team and his rotation policy after the the Burnley game. This is uh, what he had to say. It depends on the quality of the players, the performance on the pitch. So as much you are fit, more chances that we have. It's not about rotation. Right now is the players are better. The players that don't make mistakes. So John Stones and Ruben, especially John today, didn't make one mistake. He deserved to continue to play in football games. The important now is we have uh, 20, almost 21 players fit, and this is the important thing. So, but it's not about uh, rotate the team. Of course, there are players that maybe on tired will be some rest, but uh, they will play the guys who defend the defend well and score goals, and the people up front score goals. When the guys they do it, they have more chance to play. It's not about like now make a rotations so and he's going to play more 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 until they are tired please support the show by becoming a backer patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast so i mean listening to guardiola there casey can we take from that that um uh, uh, certainly for the for the burnley game laporte was dropped for his mistake at spurs and, and stones has uh, has been given his chance in the first team yeah, and I think, to be honest with you, that's fair enough. Um, I think Stones is unlucky to um, to drop out of the start of the season anyway. I thought I thought he played well against Wolves. Um, and I think uh, these past couple of games where he's come in has, uh, has done in the world of good. Um, Laporte is unquestionably the better player, but I think that Stones has been uh, unfairly maligned over the past couple of seasons and seems to be blamed for absolutely everything under the sun when he plays. So, uh, so I'm glad he's getting a run in the team. Yeah, I mean, Alan, it's interesting, isn't it, that, um, again, what Guardiola was saying about uh, making sure that he's picking players now on their form. I mean, hearing yes. that, if you're, if you're Stones and you're hearing that, that's going to be fantastic, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I think it's as much a, uh, a vote of confidence in the team that he's got at the moment as it was a warning to anybody else. Um, they have been, we've 
the recent performances have been pretty damn good and stones is certainly has been very very good just lately i've i've really enjoyed i've really enjoyed watching him um does city and, play better when he's in the team do you think um i do you know something i think they might well do at the moment i think there seems to be a rapport there they know they seem to know what he's going to do I mean, when he was having that d- dreadful run of form yes it did unsettle everybody and it didn't help with Laporte being injured for so long as well. But uh, I think at the moment there's a rapport. People understand what he's going to be doing, and he's getting on with it. Yeah, I I, I think personally, bring um, when he's been out of the side, and for example, Garcia has been been playing. One of the reasons why I think we're so we've been so underwhelming this season is that Guardiola's trying to over-engineer these specific moments in games. So, for example, against West Ham, he kept wanting Garcia in a specific space on the pitch to do a certain type of pass whereas i think stones is his passing range is a, is a lot better than most give him credit for i think laporte's is better again but i think what he wants out of stones is similar to what he was getting Otamendi to do in the uh, centurion season we're taking the ball a lot further forward into the midfield and distributing play from there which i think suits us a lot better which is why i think our performances have been better in the past couple of games yeah, I mean, just also looking at, uh, at again, the form rotation thing, KC, uh, in terms of competition for places now, um, you know, if Stones is back playing well, you've got Laporte there who, okay, he's had a, he had a dodgy moment against Spurs and is, you know, is now behind Stones in the pecking order for that. And Diaz and Ake as well, they've both impressed. Ake, not so much because of his injury, but when he's played, he's been good. I like the look of Ake a lot, yeah. Um, I, I think he's a really good player. Um as I say, I think Diaz and Laporte long term. I don't think there's there's much doubt with anyone really watching watching them two and the way that the way that uh, the way that Diaz has started, sorry, and uh, and the way that Laporte's performed in the past. They are probably the two most talented, but I think uh, it's you know it can only be amazingly positive to have uh, have Stones as an option there as well. I think I think we just do need to see the back of Garcia and get him out in January just so Guardiola stops picking him. Um, <laughs> Not not just because he's poor, but I just don't think he, he should be even in the thinking. I think you've got four good centre-halves there. If you really need a youth player, you've got Harwood Bellis there at the back as well. You've even got Walker that can be there. I think get Garcia out of your mind and don't think of him as an option, especially when it comes to big games. I was disappointed to see him come on at, at the weekend, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Um, looking further up the pitch, though, Alan, um, I mean, if you if you, if you need a performance out of anybody, it was probably Riyad Mahrez because, uh, again, can we assume that Guardiola had been happy with what he'd been seeing before the Burnley game if he's now picking players based on their current form? I think that's the case. And I think that, um, you know, I know he attracts, Riyad attracts a lot of heat, doesn't he, from a certain 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 corners of our um, of our fans, but uh, he is a player I think that needs to be shown a run and to be believed in at the moment, and he certainly um, he he had he he was looking sharp, wasn't he, against um, Burnley, uh, a lot more sharp than before, and I think that. Uh, a, a decent run under this picking on merit um, regime is he deserves it. Frankly, does it? What what changed about his performance? Do you think against Burnley? Why why was it? Because um, uh, certainly as a, a, as someone watching it, he was like he was not as I don't want to say I don't want to like really denigrate his recent performances, but he was not as frustrating to watch, was he? But I think that's partly down to the fact that Burnley are a poor team. Like I, I know I've sort of jumped in there and I don't want to put Malaris down. 
I think we need to come up with a balance on this. I think people were, and it wasn't just like a small corner of the fan base. I think people were absolutely slating him when he wasn't playing as bad as he was. Don't get me wrong, he was he was doing my head in, especially any time. The, the perfect one that will get anyone enraged is when he runs over the end of the bylaw. <laughs> but there's, there's, there's no, his performances, especially last season, even when he was getting slated, when he was probably in our top three best players last season, Mares was getting slated when he was having decent games, but I don't think you can then necessarily take Burnley and use that as an example that he's back and he's an amazing player either. I think we just need to temper that balance that, yes, it was a good performance, but that Burnley side are terrible. So no. so it, I, th- I think we just need to not get ahead of ourselves either way, really, with that. I mean, Alan, just looking at his statistics, um, it's I, I, it wouldn't be a, a blooming podcast if I hadn't looked up some statistics, so let's, let's no, just go with it. Um, 31.8% of his City Premier League goals, nearly a third of his City Premier League goals have been against Burnley. That's 7 of 22. Um, nine of his 22 Premier League goals have either equalised or put City in front. So he's, he's doing his fair share of, of, of key goals in there. Um, that said, though, the average position of teams that he scored against in the in the two full seasons, the average in finishing position, is 13th. So he tends to score against lower half of the, of the table teams. Yes. Um, and only four of those 22 goals have come against sides that uh, have been in the top six at the time, twice against Leicester, uh, once against Chelsea, once against Tottenham. But all four of them either equalised or put City in front. So get your head around that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, where where's the picture in this? I'm not in, I'm not entirely sure. It not, it was, say 31% of his City Premier League goals have been about been against Burnley. I'd probably say 31% of our goal, of City's goals full stop have been against Burnley. <laughs> You know, so um, yes, all that tells me is that people score a lot against Burnley. Um, but yeah, there is, he is perhaps the player for, shall we say, the more routine fixture, if you know what I'm saying here. If you're looking at, a, looking at the average end position of teams he scores against his 13th over the last couple of full seasons, then what we're looking at is, yeah, we're looking at a player that can do this is going to be doing the business on the, shall we say, yeah, the routine weeks, if you like, the weeks that we do need to be winning. He's the perfect guy for those. Yeah, but that, that, but that, that doesn't necessarily that because I, I, I think that from watching him play. But then that doesn't take into account the fact that he scored the winner against Chelsea, the winner against Tottenham, and the winner against Bournemouth away. Was, I think, yeah, was Bournemouth yeah. running. So like they're they're what well, I suppose. Was it Pellegrini used to say Jekko scored heavy goals? They're heavy goals. Oh, David so, Platt, mate. David Platt David, used to was say it that. David Platt, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, apologies, but uh, but as I say, it's just like he, he's he seems to be just a contradiction of a footballer. Like he just there's there's nothing that you can sort of pin him down to. He is an enigma. Yeah. yeah. Yes. That is uh, that's definitely the case. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, another unlikely goal scorer because if uh, if thirty one point eight percent of Mares's goals uh, in the Premier League have come uh, for City have come against Burnley, then one hundred percent of Benjamin Mendy's have. Um, uh, he he's a weird one, isn't he, Alan? Because like when he plays, you can see what he offers City, but it's just about keeping him fit, isn't it? Absolutely, and I, and I wonder. You know, sometimes you think when you look at certain teams that have perennial injury problems around a certain time of year then you look at them and you sort of think hello perhaps there's something they're not doing right you know behind the scenes and i'm wondering whether there's something that mendy's not doing right behind the scenes if you know what i mean whether he's looking after his when he does 
when he does um, get injured, does he look after his recovery as well as he should? And I have this sneaking suspicion it might not be the case. Okay, so what um, what do you what do you make of him? I think I think he's an unquestionably a fantastic footballer. Again, can be frustrating like Mendy, uh, like Mara's apologies. Um, and I think when he is fit and on form, I think Guardiola would pretty much build his tactics around him. Like I think he I think he did in. Uh, was it against Huddersfield at home when he first came back from injury, and we, you know, we absolutely wiped the floor with him by yeah. basically playing. We we basically played him on the left side and and nobody on the right. Whatsoever. He didn't play right back, did he? Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. It. And I think I think we would see a lot more of that because I think once Mendy has like three or four games, which I don't, you know, we've seen incredibly rarely. I think his crossing is, you know, arguably up there with the, you know, the, the best in the league. And I think that just adds such an additional dimension to us um, if he could get going. But it's it's the it's the eternal question of if. I think he, I think he he's looks uh, he's looked good recently when he's come back in. But how long can we rely on that for really? Um, how how said, long can you how long can you rely on him not to have a, a more knee problems though? That's the thing because it's that, it's that, one of those injuries that will always cause him problems now. That's what I mean, and that's why I find it absolutely baffling that for three years in a row we've not signed a left back. It's you know it's it. To me, the lack of a left back, as well as Cancelo's played when he's coming this year, he's not a left back really, and I I think it it does boil down to it, it has to be called squad mismanagement. The fact that we've not signed one, yeah, it's I mean just looking at Mendy Casey because he uh, he offers that width on the left hand side that that completely changes the dynamic of City's front three, doesn't it? Even even when Guardiola's doing doing his inverted wingers thing, which has had a lot of criticism in the last weeks, with Mendy there, it it, it, it does stretch the pitch. Yeah, because because Mendy holds the whole left hand side himself, and I suppose the idea is that if Mendy's pinning them back that that far up the pitch, I think that's why. When we were targeted with um, signing centre halves this year, I think that's why they were so obsessed with getting one in that was a left, that was a left footer, so that Aki and Laporte, even though they are unquestionably centre halves, mm. they both have experience of playing left back and could easily move over. I think the idea is that they will then fill the space that Mendy leaves as he put, pushes on up the pitch, um, and because but if Mendy's not fit, there is no other alternative for that. So Guardiola sort of has to change his whole. Plan A because I I I definitely think that if Mendy's fit, he he is a massive part of Guardiola's plan A, especially since as you say he's gone back to the inverted wingers because I think he wants to keep us tight on the like from being hit on the counter attack, which is what the inverted wingers are for. Yeah, Alan, when when you look at that Porto game, uh, Zinchenko played left back in that one. Um, uh, Twitter didn't seem that that enamoured with his performance, but then again, I I, I, I didn't think the game was that great, so like, I didn't no. didn't really expect what what more you expect from him, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there was a um, there was a solidity about his performance that was um, in in line with the scoreline, really. You know, it's it's there's it wasn't required to be. Um, anything other than routine and he was he was routine he was you know he was okay as far as i'm concerned um i couldn't get work i couldn't get worked up about the performance negatively or positively to be absolutely honest he was he was there and he he sufficed and that's that's a good thing it's good to see him it's good to see him back in the side and um again shop window stuff isn't it don't do anything wrong mate yeah, I mean the the thing is though he isn't he isn't the long term option though that's the problem isn't it? No, no, he's not really. 
no, I don't, I don't, I don't see him as a long-term option. But uh, it's still certainly something to give. Um, you know, it's hard. It's hard to say where you. It's hard to say where you go with him because he's got the. Um, he, he's got he's got the ability, but he, it's kind of like a, a poor. Um, a, it's a much poorer version of the um, the sort of Guardiola style fullback uh, than we've got it. We've got in Mendy. The only problem with Mendy, of course, as we've said before, is leg will drop off. But uh, you know, it's. I think we need to be looking in that area and actually looking to sign somebody a little bit more dependable. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Well, speaking of the Porto game, Guardiola and his subs have been questioned again because uh, he's talked in the past about wanting five subs in the Premier League. He had the option for five subs on Tuesday and he chose only to use one. Uh, he did, though, after the game, explain why. This is what he had to say. I didn't make substitutions. I thought about this, but uh, I think few players need to read it, like Bernardo, like Joao, like uh, Alex, like uh, Eric, like uh, Dino, for example. And after, Rodri was playing well, physically strong, so we have four days, not three days, until the next game against Fulham. And um, and I want to give them minutes for the real. The important is because they show me today, like they show me the previous game, the other players against Burley, that everybody's fit and everybody's ready. They have to know that uh, this is the way. So I can trust with the players that today playing, without a doubt, the same I can trust for the players that play the Burley. So it's a competition against them. That's the good news. So, uh, and now after the qualification to Champions League in February, now it's time to focus in the Premier League. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Okay, so do you, do you get that he would he would keep the team pretty much settled on, on Tuesday night because the players that he was bringing on would be the players that actually he wanted to rest. Yeah, I, I, I do get it for that one specific instance, but I think he just needs to shut up about it, to be honest with you. Um, I think just stop going on about it, especially when, you know, if, if there is one massive failing in Guardiola, it's that he genuinely, he, he's really poor at substitutions. You know, that is his Achilles heel. He doesn't, he, he believes so much in plan A that he doesn't ever want to go to plan B. So just shut up about the five substitutions all the time, <laughs> especially when you don't use them. And and I think it's I think it's insulting as well. And I think Guardiola's done this a few times with his with um with targeting his ire at the wrong place. If he's if he's got an issue with it, stop blaming the league and the lower teams and everything and stuff like that. Go to the board and say, Look, the Premier League, this is what we want. But instead he comes out and he blames the wrong people. It's like when he's moaned about the crowds before. Go and speak to Ferran and tell him to lower the ticket prices, and then you'll get better crowds. I think he's. I think it's just 
I think I can see why he's doing it, but it just seems to be sort of an impotent waste of like him letting off steam. And I don't know who it's really targeted at, and I just want him to shut up about it. Yeah. Um, Alan, do you think that when you look at the competition in the squad, he mentioned competition for places there. Um, how do you feel about it at the moment? Is it is it enough to to, to kind of warrant this um, or, or to push the players that are there to play better? I think there, I think there is a degree of competition in the squad at the moment, and certainly we've been certainly um, defensively we've been talking about John Stones getting better. I think it's I think it's all that's all very healthy, you know. That we see that we and I would like to. I, I don't think I'm alone in saying I'd like to see Foden get more run outs because his some of his balls through some of his ball, some of his passing at the uh, the Porto game was sublime. But um, I do definitely, I do definitely see that there's a lot of competition. You know, it's the com- it's, it's the competition enough in the forward positions because, like Burnley aside, they've not been scoring goals. I think that's with uh, certainly with uh, certainly with injury problems. That that's the that's the, that is a real problem. The competition at the front, as far as I'm concerned. Um, it doesn't seem to how. However, we shuffle it. There seems to be that same uh, systemic problem all the time. Of uh, if we don't get the easy kill at the beginning, we start to look hesitant and frail, and that's been City for quite some time. It was City last season as well. There's a hesitancy and frailty if we don't get the easy kill early we don't get the early goal if we don't put our noses in front once a team starts to actually put up a competent defense we want to uh, it's it's almost almost like a spoilt prince that's been slapped around the face you know so so do, so do you see that as like a, a motivational issue or or just a failing within the players themselves I think there is, to a degree, a failing in the players themselves at the moment. Um, I've, I, when at last time I was on the podcast, I did speak about um, Gabby's confidence and the way he takes criticism to heart. And I know he's quite frail in that respect. But if you, I think there has to be some sort of work on the player's mental game. That there has to be a greater tenacity if the first twenty minutes don't go to plan. Yeah. Um, one other headline from the weekend, uh, particularly, was that Sergio Aguero didn't feature in either game in uh, either uh, against Burnley or Porto. Uh, here's what uh, Guardiola said about uh, Aguero and his knee injury after the Burnley game. Sergio is uh, it depends how we wake up. They make uh, good training sessions, and after that, they have uh, some niggles in, on, on his knee. So it's day by day, and yesterday I decide uh, don't no no not being selected because I think he needs to training. And this morning, wake up with a little bit uh, problems in his knee, and he and he could not training. So uh, you know we knew we know that the injury that he had is not uh, easy for for the recovery, and then you have to hand we have to handle it as best as possible and. And when he will be ready, he will start to, to, to train with us and play. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
So that was after the Burnley game. Then in the pre-match press conference ahead of the Porto game, again, Guardiola confirmed that Aguero wouldn't be available. Uh, short but sweet, but this is what he had to say. No, I'm not concerned. He didn't train. Have a little bit disturbing in his knee. Nothing serious, but he didn't train. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Now, KC, Guardiola says he's not concerned. Um, are you concerned? Yeah, I, I'm concerned purely from um, from a, an emotional uh, attachment and perspective towards Aguero because he, you do have to worry. Is this it? Like he's, he's, you know, he's 32 now, and even though he's still an unquestionably class player, are these injuries finally catching up with him? Because he's always had injuries throughout his career, and I. I I don't want this to be the end. I don't want him to have... Because if this turns out to be his final season, if his final season is him barely playing in and out of the team, it'll be an awful way for it for one of the all-time great players to, to bow out of City. I hope he doesn't... I, I hope it this isn't the case, and I also hope that this isn't his last season and he stays on again. But it's just... I just really don't want that to happen. Yeah, Alan, are you are you encouraged by Guardiola's words, or does it not make any difference? Because, I, like in Guardiola's position, that is what he would say, isn't it? He, like, yes. he wouldn't say anything else. Yeah, I mean, of course, he's he's gonna he's he's gonna say these things. But as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, um, it it does worry me that we uh, spend more and more time without him. He is talismanic. I don't think that's hyperbole in the slightest. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Aguero is, is he's always going to have that place in history. And he still has the mojo. It's just whether his body's going to let him do it for that much longer. That, and that's, as you say, I, I'm as concerned as um, KC is, really. It's, I, don't, I don't want to see it end this way. Yeah. Um, well, Alan, what do you reckon is going to happen next? Because, I mean, we are now, what, as we record this, four weeks away from him being able to talk to other clubs right now because his, his contract ends at the end of the season. It's January in four weeks' time. Mm. I I do wonder how, if these if injury problems are well-documented, they're happening with increasing frequency, I wonder how attractive he's going to be to other clubs. At this point, and I, I, I would hope that a contract extension is agreed. I think it would be more dignified, and I think it would give him a chance to work with us and work with a uh, plan to getting him uh, fit and ready for more games than he has been recently. Uh, KC, I don't want to, um, I don't want to kind of uh, pour oil on the emotional fire, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, Zabaleta, Yaya Torre. Vincent Company, David Silva, Sergio Aguero. Yeah, well, it's going to be it's going to be Fernandinho this year, either way, isn't it? So you're yeah. hoping, so you're hoping we get another year out of Sergio, aren't we? <laughs> um, it's just, uh, it's, I think I think maybe like in terms of in terms of the squad itself as well. You're thinking with a club trying to be too cute in the summer and putting all their eggs in the messy basket because they knew that they'd definitely have Aguero. Should we have been using this season as having Aguero as a bonus and bedded in a new striker? Potentially, you don't know. But um, but yeah, if if Aguero goes this year, and especially if Aguero went 
with no fans when we've already had silver with no fans there. That'd just it'd just be heartbreaking, wouldn't it? It honestly might break me. I don't, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to cope. Um, one other one other issue to, to to iron out from the midweek. Uh, Porto sent out a newsletter to their fans after Tuesday's nil nil draw with some let's say extraordinary claims in them. Uh, we've not got time to read the whole thing, but here's the highlights. It says the coach, referring to Sergio Conceição, uh, commented on Pep Guardiola's bad disposition after the meeting. I would also be upset, he says, uh, if I couldn't win with the team he has and the budget he has. Uh, The newsletter then goes on. In fact, the Manchester City coach and players who also struggle to cope with the results should even be grateful for the luck they had with the refereeing again. After the scandals of the game in England, this time a penalty was missed for Edison's more than evident foul on Octavio. In addition, there should have been a red card given to Fernandinho, who, despite being 35, is a clear example that in football money counts a lot, but it doesn't buy class or notion. Then later in the newsletter, it says that hours after the match, a TV station in Lisbon decided to launch a hobby or provocation by offering a shirt to the to an opponent of ours who is known internationally for having been convicted of racism. That was widely understood to be Bernardo Silva. Um, the city have responded through a spokesperson. They said, uh, this is not the first time that Porto have reacted badly in circumstances like this. On this occasion, it is the ill-judged and targeted criticism of some of our individual players and indeed our manager, which we wholly reject. In 2012, the last season we encountered them, it was the denial by the club of clear racist behaviour of their fans for which they were investigated and fined. In this context, this latest outburst is almost as surprising as it is disappointing. And uh, Jolyon Lescott, who was working for BT Sport on Tuesday night, um, also posted on Instagram after all this blew up. Uh, Strange reading the statement from Porto. Yesterday's game itself looked comfortable from a City point of view. The annoying part is the racism claim. No racism should be ignored and trying to deflect is not going to work. Obviously, there is a case of selective memory here. I'm sure UEFA handing them a fine for constantly targeting Mario in our game in 2012 is just a memory. Hashtag Porto do better. Um, so, KC, pick the bones out of that. What What do you make of, of all this? There's well, there's a few different things, I suppose. Like the main thing is they're just assholes, aren't they? Um, <laughs> no, to not to not put a too fine a point on it. Um, obviously, less 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 got's gone over the fact that you know they were done for races. They were famously fined less uh, than we were for kicking off a second half too late as well. I think that season. Yeah. So they were done for racism against us. Um, obviously, they, you know, they behave like, I think, you know, they're renowned for over the years, not just under Mourinho, but even before that. I think they're one of those clubs that I think because they get the wrong way so much domestically, I don't think they like it when it comes to Europe and it doesn't quite work out in the same way. But they proper just spat the dummies out of the out of the pram in, in both first and second legs, yeah. um, you know, with the, the players targeting, you know, you know, they, they're, they're a dirty team. I, you know, I don't think that, you know, there's, there's no two ways about that. Um, I think Conce Sauer's comments are a bit rich just from a personal perspective on him as well. And you think, you know, he spent he spent a good proportion of his career at Lazio fans who don't exactly have the best, uh, you know, the best reputation internationally when it comes to fascism. So you'd think somebody like that would keep the mouth shut. Uh, and then it just, you know, you just think, is it just sour grapes because we took two of their best players of all time and not Amendi and Fernando off them? <laughs> it's, uh, it's... Uh, but yeah, in all seriousness, it's just it's just it's just pathetic, isn't it? It yeah. just it just it just smacks of like that like just a weird, annoying grass in school that's just not got a leg to stand on. It's just pathetic. Yeah, I, I, Alan, when when you when you hear what's been said, it's mm-hmm. kind of like um, just like okay, you haven't even lost this 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 second game, but just just be a bit dignified with it. Yeah, I, it's the whole thing smacks of a teenage tantrum to me. 
It really does. Uh, I mean, and it's so full of non sequiturs as well. What what was the um, what was the business with Fernandinho's age, and then the follow on from that is a clear example of football money counts a lot. Yeah, what the hell is all? What the hell was all that about? And it's just yeah, it's just get some bloody dignity for God's sake. As far as I'm <laughs> concerned, the whole the whole thing is just absolutely so absolutely. It's just gobsmacking to read, and. I I'm wondering what the heck's going on there because I mean, you know, I don't like to generalise. I've had great times with Portuguese people in the past. Once I got mightily drunk in Douai with some Portuguese glassmakers, so it just goes to show you can't generalise because not all Portuguese people make glass. But <laughs> I wondered I'm where not sure where I'm going with this, but I'm going to carry on regardless. But this is just it's just bizarre, beyond bizarre. In fact, it's I what. Was... So you're saying, so you're saying that basically the United of Portugal is that what you're saying? I, mean, I, I could well, I could well have those words put into my mouth, and I would not object. Yeah. So, so losers all around. I think we. Can oh, agree. definitely, definitely. Yeah. It's just, but it is comical. It really is. Yeah. I don't know if there's any point in getting massively bent out of shape. Shape. I mean, if this was, if this was put into my news feed, if someone, if someone wrote something like that on my news feed on social media, I would just reply with a picture of Reeves and Mortimer holding handbags. Right, well, on last week's show, we heard the first part of our interview with City's former assistant manager, Mark Bowen, as he explained what the club was like when he and Mark Hughes arrived from Blackburn. It's time to hear the second part of that as he discusses their tenure at Eastlands. He begins by explaining what the picture was like in the summer of 2009. Mark had had meetings with, with, with the hierarchy, with, with, with Haldun and at the start of the season and the question was asked by Mark, what, you know, what's the expectation this year? You know, uh, the money spent and the players brought in and they were very calm and, 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 and considered and, and basically said to him, well, we just need, we need to, and we've got to, and we want to see progression. So we'd be looking for initially a European place and we'd be looking for um, obviously good football on the, on the pitch, but, you know, this definite uh, rise in the table. Mark actually said to them, well, what about um, a cup situation? You know what I mean? Winning a cup. And the word that came back was, well, well, that's not, we're not expecting that, but that's a, that's a good bonus. That's icing on the cake if we have a good cup run or get into a final, win a cup. And the actual, the day, the day that we left the club, um, and, and Mark was called upstairs. Uh, we knew what was going on because I thought at the time, obviously, it's been well documented. It wasn't handled very well. But Mark was called upstairs after the game, and obviously they said, "Look, we're going to make a change." And Mark said, "Well, yes, I, I know, I understand that. I know that because everybody's told me apart from you guys." And he said, "Well, why are you making a change?" And they they tried to allude to, "Well, you know, we need to do this or we need to do that." And Mark said, well, actually, you're not being quite genuine here because you told us at the start of the season that you wanted to see a place in Europe. Well, at the moment, we're third in the Premier League. You know, Then it was, well, you said it doesn't matter about a cup, but it's, it's a feather in your cap. And at the time, we were in the semi-final of the, the, was it the Carling Cup. So in terms of what had been set at the start of the season, we'd actually more than produced enough to, to, to warrant staying. Having said that, Dave, of course, you know, Mark, Mark was very, very much saying to me, well, look, you know, there's no point being bitter about it, Mark, because 
Bowie called me because you know the owners they bought the club, they put a lot of money in that they do what they want to do, and if they, if they don't fancy us and they want to go and do a different thing, then we accept it. It's not a problem. But we, we he said I just wasn't prepared to accept the fact that we had not achieved what we'd been asked to do because we'd more than done that at the time. Yeah. Did did you and Mark know that it was the la- the the final game for you against Sunderland before kickoff? Yes, Dave. It was it was again strange situation that I'd. I was living in Solihull at the time, and um, obviously Saturday mornings home games. What I would do, I would drive up uh, in my car with the wife, with the kids, who, who came to see every game if they could. We would get to the stadium where we'd go and have uh, maybe a slight bite, a small bite to eat. But I would then, when I got there, I would leave my wife and kids, if you like, in one of the lounges while I went into, you know, spoke spoke to Mark, and you know, we, the match day preparation would go on from there. And I was in the car driving up, and it was Saturday morning before the Sunderland game. It was about, might have been about 10 30, something like that in the morning, 11 o'clock. And I got a phone call from a, a member of the press that I'd known for many, many years, uh, a fellow called, you probably know, Neil, Neil Custis, who wrote for The Sun at the time. But I'd known Neil since I was a, a, a player at Norwich many years ago because he was the local reporter there. And the phone went, it was Neil. And I answered the phone. In the car, I said, "Hi, Neil, how are you?" And he said, "Yeah." He said, I- "I'm okay, bro." He said, um, "You all right?" And I said, "Yeah, fine. What's the problem?" And he said, "Well, I hate to say this, mate." He said, "But you're getting the sack today." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" He said, "Yeah." He said, and I said, "You're joking?" And he said, "No." He said, "Listen, I'm marking your card." He said, "We we've been briefed on it yesterday by Gary Cook." And it was like. Wow. So he tried to explain things that, you know, but he said, you know, so to him as much as he sort of knew what he could, which was, a, you know, I'm sitting in the car with my wife and kids <laughs> and the, the phone's on loudspeaker. So, you know, a little bit of a shock, let's say, but got to the stadium. Um, usually I was first there, but when I got to the stadium, I walked down on my own, if you like, to Mark's little uh, office, if you like, little room. Mark was in there. So I went in, closed the door and locked it and said, uh, mate, i got something to tell you. And, and he said to me, yeah, I think I know. I said, oh, you've heard? He said, yeah, I got a phone call this morning. I said, what, from, from the club, from Gary? He said, no, no. Somebody's marked my card in the press or whatever. And that's what it was. And still nothing was said. So at the time, obviously, the, the, the word is out there. And even before the game, players were, you know, the real strange atmosphere and we were having a our pre-match uh, meeting and whatever. I remember Vincent Company came to Mark and said, what's happening? Mark basically said, look, I, no idea. No idea what's happening. So let's you know, get, get our heads down. We've got a game to be won here. So we put, tried to put a lid in it the best we could. Really strange in the ground at the time. I remember you know, when you're going out to start the match, it was a really strange atmosphere. Um, again, half-time, still the same situation. We Obviously, we won the game comfortably. Came in afterwards, uh, Mark. So when the final whistle went, didn't really know what to do. Just sort of stepped on the pitch and gave a you know a little round of applause, and we came in. And then very quickly, uh, I think somebody somebody came come down and said to Mark, "Well, Haldun wants to see you upstairs," which you obviously know what's coming. Mark went up there and spoke to him and come down and said, "Well, you know, you know, wants to see myself and and Eddie Nizveski." And we went up there and the same thing. We just told that you know uh, the clubs look in a different direction, and and that was it. And we, we you know, hour later we left the build, left the building, so to speak. And um, 
And they, they, from then on, if you like, you know, contract-wise, they handled it, you know, exemplary, fantastic. But I just think there was a bit of a, let's say, mix-up with 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 the what the messages that were coming out on the Friday and the Saturday, you know, which could have been handled better. Yeah. Um, and in a in a weird way, by a, a strange twist of fate, you were you were then with QPR on the final day in in 2012. Um, so I mean, what what was that match like? Well, can I tell you that? You no, know, that is probably one of the most weirdest experiences I've ever ever on a on or, or at the side of a football pitch. Because even at the final whistle, there was a strange feeling whereby you really wanted to, if you like, I don't know, um, let's say, clap the supporters and and give you know. The, the the players we knew at City a cuddle because they 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 done it you know but we obviously weren't part of it we were part of Queens Park Rangers but you felt in a strange way that you felt a, a tiny let's say a tiny part part of it because of the the role you've you, you'd played there at the start you know so delighted for absolutely genuinely delighted for because of the way the game turned out we we'd stayed up as well it might have been different if we got relegated but delighted for the club absolutely over the moon for the club and we obviously had our celebrations as well because we would been brought into Queen's Park Rangers to to just keep them whatever you know we were told please by by hook or by crook keep us in the Premier League and we we'd achieved that but it really was a strange situation you know what went on through the day and and it's an interesting story because we obviously the way people remember the game when we'd gone in front and even when City had uh had equalized well, knew we were like terrified, and I was thinking, "Oh my God!" And then we looked up to the stand, and we had uh, QPR's uh, board and the owner up there. And by this time, the the game at uh, Stoke against Bolton, I think it was, had finished, and we knew then we were safe. So, although we were disappointed, they were celebrating and would you know came down to us. We're okay. We're up. We've stayed up. But then you know, generally, when when the final whistle went in, you saw the joy on. On the the fans and, and the players' faces at City, you know, you 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 did feel um, delighted for them. You know, I mean, I still say now that when 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 we went in there, in, even you know that 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 year we were there, year and a bit was it perhaps that you know we needed probably somebody like a Mark who was to go in there and be that first step to take it. You know, the 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 environment that we inherited wasn't wasn't an elite environment by any means. It was. It, it was it was a sort of tiredness to the place. There was a, I don't know, the, almost an acceptance of mediocrity. You know, and we 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 said about certainly spending money and, and raising standards at the training ground, the old training ground, getting things in place, and you know, and you know, and 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 things the way the way you went about things properly, like you know, and all those little things. And I, I, to this day, and I'm not, I don't hope I don't look some conceited here, dear, but to this day, I think we played. A major part in, in transforming Manchester City Football Club, as well. Don't not listen. I'm not stupid. As well as Sheikh Mansour and his, his millions and, and and everything, but we played a significant impact in taking a club that was underperforming and and making it into an, a start of an elite environment that could go ahead and 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 take the club forward. I've no doubt about that. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. So that brings us on to looking ahead to this weekend's game with uh, Fulham, Saturday, three o'clock. Um, we'd like to welcome Sam from uh, the Fulhamish podcast. And I, I, I say uh, welcome, but Sam, you've beat us to the Football Supporters Federation Awards so many times now. I'm not sure you are welcome here right now. Oh, we only beat you once, to be fair. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, you guys have an astonishing amount of consecutive nominations. Uh, every which... year, every year, somebody else beats us to it. And like last year, it was you. So well done, big Roginley. <laughs> to be honest, all we ever want is the nomination because it's a free booze up at Christmas for us. It means I don't need to put on any kind of Christmas party yeah. for for the lads or anything like that. We can just go. To, we can just go to that. And it's all paid for. Is it? I mean, sorry, slightly off topic and maybe not of interest to your listeners, but has it been cancelled this year? Uh, I think it probably has. Yeah, given uh, given the situation if, if it has uh if it hasn't then we've not been nominated this year yeah so, uh, i guess so yeah. i wondered if there'd be some horrible virtual one which none of us really probably would be that interested in yeah probably um let's get to the order of the day then uh city versus fulham this weekend uh fulham just outside the bottom three how are you feeling the season's going so far well uh up until monday not that great after monday fantastic um the win over leicester has change things really it was a huge huge win and it really has put us on the map for the season i think going up to a team like leicester who have had such a strong start to the season big big city 5-2 well yeah i mean obviously we know that they're not as strong at the king power as they are away from home but to go there and put that kind of performance and a deserved win as well for us really has changed things and given Fulham fans a huge boost of optimism that whilst it's not going to be an easy season, we probably still are going to be in a massive relegation battle. We could finish 17th. There's a chance. You've just said that that 17th is a possibility. What what are the aims for the season, given, first off, how you've started, but also given that, I mean, it was a, a pretty late show in the playoffs to get up there in the first place, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the 17th is the only aim. And that's what the difference is from 18-19, where we came up and we were talking pre-season about, oh, could we sneak into the top 10? Could we give the rest of the Premier League a shock? <laughs> that is not the aim this year. It is 17 for nothing else. And and I think pretty much I speak for every Fulham fan in, in that regard because of the situation, because we came up to mm. the Premier League and we have the most difficult survival job in history in terms of time and preparation for the season because it was such a short pre-season for us. We we won the playoff final on the 4th of August and then the season started in fairly early September. We had a month basically to, to get things in order and that's I think why we started so badly because basically those first four games were a pre-season for us. Um, and yeah. it, it, it is the only aim is 17th. And if we do it, it will be a massive achievement. Yeah, Alan, hearing what Guardiola said about City recently, about it being about players being picked on form and not rotation. Yes. Um, when you look at City's team, are you expecting it again to be Stones and Diaz as the centre-back pairing? I think it could well be. I mean, um, it's... I thought, I mean, I, I thought that um, Diaz, apart from that bizarre non-goal last night. I thought he had a pretty decent game, although Porto admittedly weren't that much of a threat. They were more um, looking to stop. They were more looking to stop us than actually, I think, play a proper game of football. But we were, you know, I think we could well see, I think we could well see Stones back in there because, um, you know, he's he's had, he's he's really seems to be regaining his, um, he's got his mojo back, hasn't he, really? Yeah. just, I mean, just looking at, at the centre back options for for City, they've been they're stronger than they've ever been before. Sam, yes. obviously, um, City sold uh, Tosin Adarabayo to you guys in the summer. How's he been? 
Brilliant. Um, made a great start to life at, at Fulham. Has played pretty much every match since he joined the club. Uh, made his debut at Sheffield United. Looked really composed. Uh, we should have kept a clean sheet in that game had Mitrovic not made a really stupid mistake towards the end to give away a penalty. And I don't think it's any surprise that since him and uh, Joachim Anderson, who he's built a good centre-back partnership with, have come in, we've conceded a lot less goals. Um, apart from the Everton game, we haven't conceded three in any game since he uh, since he came in. It's mostly been one goal or uh, the one ke- the one time that they kept a clean sheet. He looks composed. He's strong on the ball. He's got a good passing range. I'm just baffled that you sold him for one and a half million it seems like an absolute Mm. bargain for a young english player who's clearly got premier league quality i'm 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 amazed that we managed to get him so cheap he he easily could have been 10 million pounds and you wouldn't have blinked an eye yeah, selling players has not necessarily been City's forte, though, in recent years. I'll, uh, no. I, I will concede that. Um, Alan, <laughs> I mean, given the, the form rotation thing and given, uh, again, uh, that, that City would be expected to, to go on and kind of do the same sort of thing as what they did against Burnley, so, uh, like hearing that Fulham have been a lot more solid recently doesn't exactly fill you with a lot of confidence because Burnley aside, City have not been scoring goals this season. That's the thing. We have been looking remarkably lax up front. I mean, I think with the... Uh... Uh, people tend to people have been to a degree um, focusing on defensive shortcomings. I mean, the, the, the Stones haters out there, in particular, when I think is the second best thing ever to come out of Thurlston Primary School. <laughs> but um, he's up front. We are still wasting a lot of chances. I don't think we have at the moment an absolutely natural nailed-on goal scorer anywhere there always seems to be a little bit of labor and of course we're not going to be having Sergio's not going to be back yet is he so yeah. that's we 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 miss him and as he get and as he's getting older and getting injured more frequently i think we're going to have to start looking at um, perhaps i don't know um either toying with the position of the players that we've got or an altogether different approach because it clearly at the moment it's i mean if if a defense lies down in front of us sure we can bang them in all day but there's but as defenses get more competent as defenses are more when we have come up against clubs with more together um central defensive partnerships then we do tend to get stopped a little bit too easily. And it's the old story. If we don't go ahead early, then we start to labour and we almost get, it almost, there's a nervousness starts to fall, starts to come over the yeah. midfield and the attack. Sam, who's, who's going to cause City problems that we might not be aware of? I don't know if you're aware of them or not, but uh, Adam Ola-Lukman is our most dangerous player this season by far. Um, obviously, everyone really has probably seen Adam Ola-Lukman and uh, seen the penalty. And <laughs> obviously, that probably was the most uh, high-profile incident that's happened to Fulham this year. But he scored again on Monday. He scored a brilliant goal against Sheffield United. He can turn on a sixpence. He can use either his left or right foot. He, yeah, he's brilliantly kind of ambidextrous when it comes when it comes to playing with both feet. And he's lightning quick and I think he's the most likely to, to bag a goal. Um, if Tom Kearney plays I always think that he's capable of, uh, of creating some magic. I don't know if Mitrovic will play. Obviously he didn't play on Monday. He's had his injury problems. Um, he did 
come off the bench um, briefly on on Monday, but he is not fully fit. Um, but Fulham have found a way to play without Mitrovic. He didn't play in the playoff final. He didn't play in the playoff semi-final. He didn't play on Monday. We can win games without Mitrovic. Of course, he's a brilliant striker and he's always going to you know, bully defenders and cause them a problem. And I'd like to see him get a bit of a go at Man City's defence as good as it is. Um, but I don't think he'll play very much of the game, if at all. Yeah, well, before, before we let you go, we've got charity back coming up a bit later on in the show. So let's have a... I, I'm crap at this sort of stuff. So let's have a, a score prediction for you. I'll let you have my go. Because uh, if you're right, then obviously you're better, doing better than I am this season. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I've, I've gone for 1-1, which... Um, obviously is is massively optimistic, but I feel like sometimes you just have to be when you do these opposition previews. The one thing that I think is massively interesting about Saturday's match from a Fulham perspective is Scott Parker has not lost a game once we've been in the lead. Now, obviously, mostly we've been playing Barnsley and uh, (laughs) teams like that and Derby County and other teams in the championship. We kept we kept that record going against Leicester. If we went one 0 in the lead, can Man City turn that around? It's nearly approaching fifty games. This record, we are very very good at defending leads. So if we do put our noses in front, if we survive the onslaught from Man City in the first twenty minutes, and we did manage to score a goal against the run of play, how does the game turn from there? Will Man City be that first team to kind of break the? The hoodoo? No, no, they don't. City, City don't win from behind. <laughs> no, no, we, well, no, no it, it'll be hard. In that case, it makes it a massively interesting game, doesn't it? Because if you think there would be a team that probably could do it, it's probably Man City. But um, yeah, I'm fascinated to see how that goes, and therefore I'm going to go over one or draw. We'll we'll take the lead. You'll get one back because we can't quite hold on for the win. But one all. Sam, thank you very much for joining us today. Sam from Fulhamish. Thank you. I mean, just just looking more at, uh, at what we've been talking about there, Alan. Are, are you yeah. are you expecting uh, for from a city point of view anyway, uh, kind of a, a, another front three of, of like Mares, Jesus, Torres again, just because of again the, the form and not rotation thing? Well, I think I think so. I think Mares is coming into form quite nicely at the moment. So he's got. I mean, getting uh, getting the sort of oppositions he absolutely excels against on um, last weekend really did. You know, you you need you need something like a hat trick to get yourself back into the swing of things, and I think that Torres is beginning to show his worth quite nicely. So um, I think that yeah, that Mares Jesus Torres Holy Trinity could well work. I mean, Sterling at the moment, he I I think he needs a little bit of a shake up. He doesn't seem as sharp as he used to be. You know. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting, Casey. Here again, like hearing Guardiola say he's picking players on, or uh, not, he's not rotating players now. Um, does that does that mean the door at the moment is closed for the for the likes of Foden and Bernardo? Maybe I I, I, I can't see it being closed at all. No, I think it's just more like a, a kick up the hole for for. It, it may not even necessarily just be for the people that he's he's thinking about with that, but I think he's just mm-hmm. firing a shot across the bow at the whole squad to sort of keep them on their toes. I think it's just an attempt to do that. Yeah, um, looking ahead as well at Marseille, Casey, it's a it's a dead rubber now for City. Um, I, I mean that that is 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 a is a bonus given the the, the shape of the season, isn't it? it? It is a bonus, and especially obviously because we've got the derby coming up as well, haven't we? Um, and obviously, if he can, if he can play a weakened team against Marseille, then hopefully that'll mean that players can either be well rested or come into good form against what is a really poor Marseille team. 
Yeah, it's um, Alan. It just looking at, like I say, uh, like we said before about Stones and Diaz, that that could be the option for if if it is a kick up the backside for Laporte, that could be the game for Laporte to come back in, is it? Well, yes, and it's a game for Laporte to come back in and um, play a competent game. It's all about putting yourself back in the shop window, really, isn't it? I mean, I I agree with KC that there's a degree of, degree of kicking up the backside going on here that um, players shouldn't be looking to be entitled to a place in the team, and rightly so. Um, so, yeah, this is this is a chance to put himself back in the shot window. If it's, I mean, when was the last time Marseille won a Champions League group game? I couldn't tell you. They've not won at all, this this group. I've, 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 uh, they scored their first goal, I think, in the last round. So I, I'm thinking that uh, it, it may well have been sometime back in the... Uh, I, oh, 1900 and frozen to death. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so there's little chance of it being an upset, which is pretty much what I said about Lyon when I was last on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, you did. Good yes. shout. Good shout. That. I thought so. I thought so. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Just, you know, if you want the lottery numbers, just just, just let me know. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I here's me writing off another French team, right? But honestly, on this occasion, I think it's just a chance for the defence to put together a solid performance. They'll probably try and crowd. They'll probably try and crowd us out to um, avoid humiliation. But if we get a goal early, then all bets are off. Frankly, well, uh, all bets are actually on, Alan, because it's time for the char- charity bet, and oh, we've had a few weeks that. without a win on it. So uh, if, let's see if we can't change that on today's show. William Hill is giving each of the panel a £10 correct score single on City's games. The winnings are going to the Christie, a cancer treatment hospital in Manchester, and so far we've got £170 this season. We heard from Sam earlier on, uh, a one-all draw he, he's predicting for City against Fulham. That's 14-1 to 1 and £140 if he's right. Uh, Alan, what have you got for Fulham? Pull up 2-0, I reckon. Uh, that's 6-1 to one and £60. KC, what have you got? Uh, well, I'm nothing if not predictable, if if not uh, terrible at predictions, so I've gone for 6-1. Six, 6-1 one. Uh, six, one City, uh, KC's traditional uh, Bertie bet is 28-1 uh, <laughs> and uh, £280. So if that comes in, mate, well done. Uh, go on, give us, give us your Marseille score, because I, I think we all know where this is going. That would be 6-1 as well, mate. 6-1 again is 70-1. to one. Um, so if that comes off, which it, I mean, it's not going to come off because as we've just said, it's a dead rubber and it's going to be a rotated team. Uh, but it's 700 quid if you're right. So, you know, here's hoping. Um, Fingers crossed. Alan, what are you having? I'm going to go for 3-1. Uh, the defence will put themselves in the shop window and they will come up slightly lacking. <laughs> That's 10 to 1 and £100. Pounds. Uh, I've gone the traditional dead rubber 1-0 score for City. So uh, that's 6 to 1 and £60. Pounds. Got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now, I'm sorry to say it, but City have this week lost a Premier League record. Sheffield United's recent 1-0 defeat at West Brom means that City no longer have the worst opening 10 games in Premier League history, with the Blades taking just one of a possible 30 points. At this stage of 1995-96, City had only managed two. Their record for the worst ever Premier League start is on the line after 11 games this weekend too. Sam Roscoe takes us back to the year that began terribly. Gotta get bad before it gets good. Gotta get bad before it gets good. Gotta get bad before it gets good. The summer of 1995 was all changed for City. Chairman Francis Lee had been in place for 18 months and manager Brian Horton had been sacked. He told the podcast that he thought it was because the new chairman wanted his own man in the dugout. You can sense it, you you, you know. I mean, I've been in football long enough to know when things like that are going to happen and 
and, and chairman won't give you any more money to buy players, then you know it's uh, it's inevitable. It was just a shame that we couldn't have maybe had at least one more year to have a go at it, you know, um, to see if we could win something or be better than we were. But Horton had had the full season with Lee above him, and while performances had been entertaining, the team hadn't been able to pick up points. They finished 17th, two places and four points above the relegation zone. Goal.com's City correspondent Jonathan Smith picks up what happened next. I think everyone was sad that Brian went, even those ones who thought it was probably the right decision. But when it was announced it was Alan Ball, you thought, oh my God, what what have we got here? He had a bad reputation as a manager. He'd had one season with Southampton when he'd done okay. But other than that, he was awful. Many thought Alan Ball had only got the job because he was a good friend of Francis Lee's. There was a lot of worrying stories about that time. The, the, the one about him getting his World Cup medal out, saying, well, I've won that, you've won nothing. Sounds to me like a horrendous way to go into a club and try and get players on your, on your side. Uh, they were dire. They were absolutely dire at the start of the season. It started with a one-all draw against Tottenham at Main Road. But then City lost their next eight in the league, sitting bottom of the table with just one point in late October. New signing Kit Simons thought the draw with Spurs was something to build on, but City just never built on it. I thought, you know, we're we're sort of quite a competitive side. We seemed like there was a a, a, decent nucleus of senior players there. Um, But yeah, like I said, pretty much after that, it... It was it was a real slog, and obviously we didn't win for was it 12, 13 games, whatever it was in the end. I can't remember, and it was it was very very tough. Coventry, QPR, Everton, Arsenal, Newcastle, Middlesbrough, Nottingham Forest, and Manchester United all then beat City before Alan Ball's side managed their second point of the season from a goalless draw with Leeds. I don't think I felt it initially quite as much as most other people because I was new into it. Uh, so I was still very much finding my feet with the, the football club and uh, and the city in general. After after a while, it sort of starts to hit you and you, you get the magnitude, the size of the club and being a, a sort of two-club city, you then get the, the papers. It's all about City or United, literally. And so I, I did appreciate it pretty quickly just how tough it was it was going to be. And Simon says that as the weeks went by the team found it increasingly difficult to pick things up. Even in that initial run where we couldn't get a win, a lot of the time we weren't sort of playing particularly bad. It's just things were going against us. We weren't getting any luck. We picked up a few injuries. When things are not going your way, you know, it becomes a, a real sort of downward spiral and It's hard to turn it around. That nil-nil draw with Leeds offered a tiny bit of respite. Only Sunderland have had a Premier League start as bad as that one, taking two points from their first 10 matches in 2016. They won game 11 though, and as you might have guessed, City didn't. Jonathan Smith explains how it happened. The lowest point, although they didn't win any of those early games, was going to Liverpool in the League Cup and losing 4-0 and then playing Liverpool three days later and losing 6-0 what has he learned from that game? Kit Simons remembers it a bit differently the cup game in the midweek we actually played well and for, for quite a long part of that game we were the better side we were then back at Anfield on a Saturday in the league and Borley was like listen play 
obviously we don't want to concede the same number of goals, but play similar to what you did the other night and you're going to be all right because you played really well. But then obviously the Saturday game was just a total disaster. We got absolutely steamrolled by Liverpool on the day. That was a real low point. No side has had fewer points in the Premier League after 11 games than City's two in 1995. But things did take a turn for the better from game 12. Well, ish. They took 13 points from their next five games and managed to climb out of the bottom three. But that awful start to the season was just too much to overcome and they went down on goal difference on the final day. Niall Quinn spoke to Sky Sports after the relegation. On behalf of, of, of the other players, I'd like to you know, apologise for our form at the start of the season because that's what got us in this mess. Um, we were awful. We let the club down at the start of the season and we must take, uh, you know, the book stops at us, we must take responsibility for that. Um, we played well. I mean, our last three games we were top class, but then when you're fighting for your lives, you tend to do it and perhaps, you know, looking back... We, we, we know where the damage was done. Because Sunderland managed to beat Bournemouth in 2016, City's record of just two points from 11 games is the worst the Premier League has seen. But Sheffield United are now in prime position to go one worse. If they lose to Leicester at Bramall Lane on Sunday, then they'll take the record outright, while a draw means they'll share it with City. Only a Blades win will see City keep the record for themselves. Hi, this is Andy Morrison, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. Sam Roscoe looking at the start of the 1995-96 season, and uh, one you remember fondly, Alan, I guess. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yes, the 1995-96 season. I remember my... um, well, the last day of the season, I remember my best mate, Andy Wedge, sobbing silently and me not knowing quite what to do about it. Because we always had this um, this comic fatality that we used to take to our um, our love of Manchester City. And yeah. then it all, that day, um, the, the comedy just, at the end of that season, the comedy just died, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it carried on dying for another five years, didn't it? So oh, no, it, it just. <laughs> uh, Casey, were you? Uh, was this your first season as a season ticket holder? Do you say? No, no, no. I was. No. I was. I was eight years old. Um, I just remember crying in the uh, in. I think it was called the Mad Hatter then, but it's the Huntingdon pub in Longsight. Just crying like with my dad and his mates, just going, "Why didn't Liverpool let us win?" <laughs> just, I just, I just, because I just couldn't understand it because I just thought everyone liked us. Yeah. Apparently not. I mean, and it's just got worse over time, hasn't it? That's the thing. Yeah. Um, let's finish with Ask the Panel. Get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can also email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, that's how Steve O'Brien got in touch. He says, uh, this side of Messi, have you ever seen a 20-year-old with a better and more wide-ranging head on young shoulders than that of Phil Foden? Isn't it nice that the rest of the country has woken up to what we've increasingly seen for a while? While playing on his natural side, he has that look of his doubtless mentor, David Silva, in how he drops his shoulder when on the ball in traffic to spin into space. You just know he got that trick off Merlin, don't you? And, uh, I mean, Alan, I guess like you called for it earlier in the show to, to, to see more from Phil Foden. Yes. Um, he is, it, it feels, I, I don't want to, I, again, I don't want to put pressure on the lad, but it he's feels well, like he's, he's, 
Whatever we say, the opposite will happen. So just go ahead and say it. Anyway. Oh, okay, fair enough. I, I don't want to put pressure on the lad, but um, he is, isn't he? He's, he's he's one of the he's one of City's best creative players at the moment at twenty years old. If he is astounding. He is looking to be the real deal now, isn't he? Without a doubt, his his. Um, I was thinking about the um, the the pass through for uh, Torres's chance on Wednesday. Uh, uh, on the, just the other night, you know, and um, one touch to control and a beautiful sublime ball through to it. So it's just a shame he couldn't lift over the keeper at the end. But that is really his and his distribution and his what gets me for his age, his absolute calm on the ball. Yeah, you know yeah. that that is the most amazing thing. There's not a hint of being. St- um, awed by an occasion, intimidated by oppositions. He is imperious and he's 20. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. KC, when you, when you watch him play, something else that, that I think you, you can only really get from watching him in the stadium rather than watching him on TV. Um, but his vision is incredible. He sees so much, he sees the, the bigger picture so much. Yeah, I think his vision is exceptional. And I think what helps along with that as well is his underrated pace. And I think that's one of the things that you only see when you're in the stadium. He doesn't look like quick on Selly. But I think it's like he gives a pass and because he can then move into the space because of his vision, he's he's already taken two players out of the game with his head and his speed. Um, Yeah, he's he's, he's an exceptional player. I just... uh, I I actually, I actually worry that because he's he's so good in so many positions, like you know, what is his best position? Is it out wide? Is it through the middle, or what is it? Um, I just I just think obviously his adaptability is an amazing strength, but then I'm thinking, do we actually want to just build a team around him for whatever his ideal best position is, and will that actually make us better as a team and get the most out of him? I don't know whether that's right or wrong. I'm just I'm just as I say, thinking ahead two, three, four years down the line. Yeah, you also don't want him to end up having to do a job somewhere. Exactly. Because because you end up wasting him, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. Um, Right, well, that's it for this week's episode of the show. Thank you very much for listening. Please go and give it a rating and a review in all the usual places. It really does help us. If you'd like some extra Blue Moon podcasts, then our show for Patreon backers is also available. Have a look at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast, and it's just $2 per month. This season, we've been doing feature-length shows and uh, looking at the common links between City and their coming opposition. So this week, it's Fulham. All the details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon podcast. Thanks to my guests this week, KC. Safe, mate. And to Alan Phoenix-Bates. You're quite welcome. I'll be back next week and I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. I know, I know. I totally skipped ahead then. Man... Woman, camera, TV, Coventry, QPR.